Welcome to the High and Low Podcast. I am your host, Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo. I have taken a gummy. It has hit. I didn't even plan on taking one tonight. I took a kind of a new kind. Oh, I'm blanking on the name. Insert here later. And I just took a little nibs, a little nib, nib, nibble. And I didn't know what was going to happen, but now I know and it's delightful. It's a new experience. Um, before we get into talking about the most recent episode of Beverly Hills, I am going to talk about something that I saw today on TikTok that got me fired up with a memory. The TikTok that's viral is an employee at Sephora shared an image of a plastic container filled with sprinkle cookies, a la Melissa Gorga. So these sprinkle cookies, she brought me sprinkle cookies. I had, it was going to come out. It was going to come out at some point. It was now or an hour from now. I have to do it now when hopefully my child is just falling asleep in the deepest levels of sleep. So there's a bin of sprinkle cookies from an employee at Sephora. Why did she send this picture into TikTok? You're saying, what is this? What is this about? Well, each cookie has a little sticker on it that says, we did it. $10 billion. And there's a sign next to the cookies and it says, we are thrilled to share that Sephora North America hit a record $10 billion in sales in 2023. Throughout the year, multiple Sephora records were shattered, including biggest Black Friday ever seen, highest traffic day ever recorded, biggest warehouse fulfillment day. We know that 2023 was a marathon, not a race. Blah, blah, blah. You're so special to us. Here's a cookie. A cookie. We made 10. Somebody had the audacity. That means the marketing team approved it. The finance team approved it. The CEO damn sure approved it. Everybody approved of a company saying, hey, y'all, we made 10 billion with a B dollars. Here's a cookie. Burn it down. So this is going viral. And of course, people are talking about the greed. And I think also Sephora just sucks. And I'm going to tell you a story. The year was 2019. I was a Sephora Rouge member. So they have like a loyalty program where they have three tiers. The one, the first one is like general. Everybody gets into that one. The second one, I forget what it's called. And the top one is rouge. And I was that because I'm very big on skincare preventative, like SPF. And those are always so expensive. I would buy people's holiday gifts there for people I worked with and team members. I would get everything through there. Things for my husband, things for, for me, you know, the makeup you have to wear when you're working in an office, Monday through Friday, hair products. So I had a bunch of points built up. And they had these extravagant ones that were at the very top part of the pyramid of what you could get if you had enough points. And so I would think about like, maybe I'll do that one day and let me just keep saving up and, you know, double points days and things like that. Now I got very sick in 2019, physically ill from my autoimmune. I was adjusting to it at the time and trying to like accept whether or not I really had it. You know how it is out there for us chronic illness girlies. We're like, I don't really have that. I think I'm okay. No, I'm not okay. I was in the hospital for a bit that year, and then I had to get better. A lot of hair fell out. The whole nine. I did not need beauty and makeup products during that time. And what else happened in the year 2019 going into 2020? They put in a new policy that they hadn't had before, where if you didn't go in there and mess with your points or, you know, be active in your account, you would lose your all your points and your status and everything. And that had never existed before. Fast forward a while, I'm like, oh, let me go into Sephora and you know get my life back together now. I'm feeling better. All my points are gone. Everything is wiped. So I called them and I was like, hey, what happened? And they're like, oh, no, we put this new policy into place and you haven't been in your account for this long. And so we wiped it all. And I was like, that's kind of surprising to do. Uh, is there anything we can do about this? I was unaware of it. I was ill. I'll show you my hospital bill so that you know how long I was in the hospital for. 
Uh, I'm not making this up. I really did not know that this was a thing. And that while I was ill, I was going to lose my Sephora stuff. Small problem to have, but still no big deal for you to click a button and be like, restore. And they're like, no, no, we can't do anything for you. And I was like, are you kidding? Because I was really close to that top tier of like ride a unicorn through a spa thing reward. You, There's nothing you can, not one thing, not a, not a $5 discount. Nope. That's just our policy now. And I was like, okay, if you're telling me there's nobody I can talk to, no email I can send, you can't put me on hold and have me talk to anyone, then I bid Sephora adieu. I will never buy anything from you ever again. I never even returned an item. Choke on it. Felt like I knew everything about them I needed to know after that phone call. And it doesn't surprise me at all that they would make $10 billion with a B and gloat about it to their employees while giving them a cookie. It's almost a joke. Like somebody will say to you, if you do something that's not that great, they'll be like, what do you want a cookie? And it's like, they literally just gave their employee, they gave their employees a cookie, a sprinkle cookie. I just feel like it's a dig on top of a dig. So since I left Sephora, I started buying all of my products directly through the places that make them. And I really, I really think you get way better samples, way better discounts. And I haven't missed them one day, but I'm loving, I'm loving seeing them getting dragged on TikTok. Drag me, Monique. I love it. Okay. Now it's time. Beverly Hills recap. And you know, last time I called my pod the pain in Spain, and I think the name of this episode was like the pain in Spain and something with pain. Anyway, I was like, hmm. Someone had to do it first. So this one opens up with Crystal's medical emergency that she was having. Remember Crystal's medical emergency? That's how we open. It's a cold open. We open to chaos. The ambulance is there. Anne-Marie is doing the least. And she says extremely dramatic things like, I don't want her to stand up and stroke out. Who says that? In front of someone who's laying there afraid, stressed out already, very high blood pressure. I just felt like it was acting for the camera. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. She could have just been very focused on Crystal and saying what she knew someone who was in a high stress state needed to hear, which is everything's going to be okay. I'm monitoring your heart rate. But no, I think she wanted to cue to the camera. I play a doctor on TV energy, you know, and just be saying words that she thought made her seem more medical. And I got actually very irritated that Crystal went to the hospital by herself. I know they sent a PA with her. I just felt like one of the ladies should have gone with her. I know they probably wanted to keep them all filming, which is just gross to think about. But I did think that somebody should have gone with her and accompanied her. And I feel like that's happened in other cities where somebody gets injured and another cast member goes with them. Vicky has been injured so much. And I swear I thought Tamara went with her one time. <sighs> anyway, that irritated me. What was more irritating, though, was Kyle, and I think Dorit said this too. Can I get into my theory real quick? I have a theory that the Flop Force 5, which that's because Kyle, Dorit, and Erica are the remnants of something called the Fox Force 5. They gave themselves this name. These are grown women who went to dinner and took a picture of themselves pinky promising something and saying that they are the Fox Force 5 and they stick together. Okay, good for you. So these three are left. Dorit has been mirroring a lot of the same things that Kyle has been saying. And I just really feel like, like they have little meetings to get on the same page. They have memos and talking points is what I'm saying. Because Dorit's like, oh, how the tables have turned because Crystal is having a medical emergency and didn't do anything, by the way. Let's get that clear. You didn't miss something. I didn't miss something. And just was there. That's it. But for the whole episode, people were like, you know what? You're just amazing because when push came to shove, 
You put your profession to the forefront and you put aside all the other things. And she's like, of course, and I always would. And I, I'm like, what? Did, you didn't do an emergency tracheotomy. I'm sure she did some lovely things. I'm not, I don't have like biased goggles on with her. I promise. I'm looking at every episode, like, please surprise me. Please, please come out of this nosedive. Not really. I'm already over her, but you know what I'm saying? The openness is there. I just didn't see anything that seemed like it warranted a whole episode of people chiming in of how magical and amazing and professional she was. I mean, you imagine having a medical emergency in another country and you're very scared. Instead of it just being about that, people have to be like, oh, and then the tables are really turned because the woman that you took a valid issue with is, you know, came to your rescue. Like nobody was rescued. Please. But thankfully, Crystal was whisked away to what I'm sure was a wonderful medical experience in Spain that probably is better than what most of us will have experienced in America. So we're thankful that she was able to get the care she needed. They gave her some medication and she rejoined the ladies later on. And when she comes back, she's still very upset as anyone would be. And she's on medication and Garcelle goes into her room and in a two minute interaction, Garcelle showed more care and love and humanity in in just talking to Crystal and helping her put on her arm cuff to take her blood pressure than Anne-Marie did. So just saying, the bedside manner I feel is lacking with Anne-Marie. And one of my followers DM'd me and made me giggle and they said, I'm really glad she's in anesthesia field because it's good that the patients are asleep and they don't have to deal with her. And I agree. And the whole issue with Crystal was very sad and very emotional. She reveals that her dad had high blood pressure and so he educated her. He took the time to educate her saying, these are the signs, these are the things to look for, to be careful for with your health going forward, knowing that she would likely have this too. And I shared in my stories and I recommend that everybody look it up. There is a difference between the symptoms that a woman has before or as part of a heart attack that differ completely from what men experience. Like we're only really taught about the classic signs of a man having a heart attack. Shocker. And you know what? I'll share it to my stories today, the list of symptoms that are different that a woman experiences from a man and just save it. Just save it in the back of your mind, read through it and save it as part of a whatever clip of, of, posts on Instagram so that you just kind of have it handy. It was very heartbreaking seeing her just in that little hospital bed by herself. Again, I know they sent Gavin the PA. Why don't we get to see Gavin the PA? You know, I love it when they when they break a wall down on Beverly Hills and we see producers talking to each other or like the Potomac fight with Monique and Candace when we saw the producers jump in. And I just show us the show us Gavin. Or the Beverly Hills episode with Denise where she wanted to walk off and a producer was running up and they had that big, long discussion on the street where he was like, you can't leave like this. You have to go back in. <laughs> I love those moments. Meanwhile, back at the villa, the ladies, uh, well, meanwhile, back at the chapel they're visiting, the ladies go inside and candles are lit and prayers are said. And that's where we see Kyle and Sutton have a heart to heart moment where Sutton, again, seems to be truly emotional, weeping deep into her feelings 
Thinking about life, she lit a candle for, for Crystal, for her father, for Merce. Kyle is sitting there with her and she's crying and saying, I just wish I had been a better friend to you. And again, Kyle almost has like a smirk on her face, like almost like a, like she almost wants to laugh. And, she, and, and Sutton is crying, actually crying and looking very sad. And she's like, no, you have been a good friend. And it felt like a real moment, but there's always a tinge of something. And again, I, I'm going into this episode having seen a clip from an after show. I don't know if you all saw it, but right before I started the episode, because I watched it a day late, they had released a clip. And this is the low down dirty trick that Bravo does because they know they already had the reunion. They had the reunion on Friday. And then we see a clip of Kyle belittling the trip to Spain and Sutton's relationship with Merce by saying like, oh, I never heard of Merce before, but if she wants to take us to Spain over it and spread his ashes and buy us some flowers. What? What did you just say? What did you just say after comforting her in that episode? She's crying like a baby and you were hugging her, telling her how you understood and you all bonded over loss. And she said it has more to do than just with Merce. It's her husband. It's her father. It's all of that. And you meet her friends who all knew Merce. What are you doing? And in the after show, she's like, you know, all dressed to the nines with her 15 inch platforms sitting next to Erica. And they're just giggle, giggle, giggling, villains giggling, the vil gigs. And it's a chilling moment, I think for any of us who have ever opened ourselves up to someone who then just made fun of us about it. Oh, awful about serious stuff too. And this is not the first time Kyle has done this. And so I've had so many amazing discussions with my followers and a lot of people have the same view on this, which is that it could be Kyle reacts this way to Sutton when Sutton is having actual true feelings of sadness, loss, all of that, because she sees it as a threat or something to belittle because she's the one that needs to have the show be about her centered around her and her issues and her drama. And so she, without even thinking, like belittles other people's drama as not what the story should be about. Another theory people have is that the dysfunctional issues that she has with her sisters where they oftentimes undercut each other, make fun of each other, don't take things seriously with each other, that that could be part of it too. Because we have seen them like poke fun at each other and laugh at each other about things that are quite serious. So I don't know, one of those two is it, or she's just a not nice person. And I know a lot of people out there love Kyle and think she's great, but multiple things can be true about a person. She can have her good sides and then treat someone like absolute crap for no reason. Because making fun of Merce, making fun of the trip, making fun of his ashes being spread, making fun of Sutton, buying everyone the flower wreaths so that they could lay them on the water and have their own moments with anyone that they've been missing in their lives. To make fun of that? Wow. It just was beyond the pale for me. And then Face Reality 16 put up a clip from back when Kyle essentially gaslit LVP about her own grandmother. So there's a clip up and it's about, I'll put it on my story so that you can just go there and, and check it out today. And it's Kyle sitting with LVP. This was years ago. Everybody looks different. You're going to be like, oh, this is a long time ago. And it was. And uh, LVP is talking about losing her grandmother and how sad that was for her. Kyle's like, what? Nanny Kay. Well, I've never heard you talk about Nanny Kay. 
And it's so creepy because Erica's like, yeah, her grandmother. And Erica remembers the details and she remembers the name of a restaurant that Lisa Vanderpump owned. And Lisa's like, you listen, you really pay attention to things. And Erica's like, yeah, I do. I really do. And she's like proud of herself and they have a nice bonding moment. And Kyle's in the middle like, what? You had a grandmother? And she's like, yeah, she lived with me for 10 years. She recently passed. She like helped raise me. Like we were very, very close. And she's telling funny stories about Nanny Kay. And the whole time Kyle's just like laughing and being like, I've never even heard you talk about her. So I don't know if a possible third option, does Kyle have memory issues? I don't know. Take your ginkgo biloba and stop gaslighting people about their loved ones. And I literally do take ginkgo biloba. I do the Mary Ruth's droplets and they taste delicious. So highly recommend them. This is not an ad for them, but it should be. On a lighter note, I was very distracted by what can only be described as Dorit's ludicrously capacious bag. One of my followers said that to me and I laughed out loud for a solid minute. She could fit inside this bag. She, it looks like a, just a white trash bag on her back. Now, it's a bucket bag, and I love a bucket bag, but she's been robbed a lot, okay? And the bucket bag is open at the top, and I think it turned into a backpack. I don't know. But we, one thing we is very clear about the bag, it's made by Chanel because it just says in letters that are as big as your hand from top to bottom is how big each letter is. Chanel across the back of it. Rue de blar blar. And it's just this open hole. It's definitely a child's head could get through the hole at the top of the bag with, that's closed with loosely with a drawstring that is the thickness of dental floss. Of all the bags to bring with you when you've been robbed that many times, I just think that I would bring something else. Another follower is like, oh yeah, I was robbed twice in Barcelona. I had to do two separate police reports. So just saying for someone who's been robbed that many times, to be shouting the label so loud and have a bag that's so just agape agape and open. I just reach behind her, grab whatever's in it, pull it out like operation. Like if the game operation, the little areas that you pull the tiny bones out of were just three times as big and it wasn't even a challenge. That was that bag. Okay. But back to the chapel where Kyle and Sutton have bonded. They're talking about going to see a psychic or having a dream and these ways that they think about the people that they've lost. I'm telling you it was deep. And so to see that clip from the after show before I went into this episode, I was just like, what's real with Kyle? What's up? What's down with her? I don't know. It's so chilling to me to see her have these moments where you feel like they're really bonding over loss. Sutton loses it in this episode, which we saw in the previews for last week. And she has like a bit of a breakdown when she's preparing to go spread Merce's ashes. And Kyle is the one who walks into her room with like, she has a cup of tea. She's just coming to say hi. And she finds her in this state and they hug. And it seems like it's so, it seems like it's such a meaningful thing between two people who have both experienced tremendous loss. And yet watching it, I'm like, is Kyle smirking a little bit? I can't tell because now I've seen the after show and that she doesn't really seem to care about Merce or this trip or the whole reason for it or the flowers, or the spreading of the ashes. It was hard. It was hard to watch that episode through that lens. 
And I am tempted to go to a psychic. I am, but I don't want to end up like Kim Zolciak where I'm like broke because I keep going to psychics and, and casinos and stuff. Although I don't like to gamble. I work too hard for it to gamble it. So I don't know. I'm curious. I'm interested in seeing the psychic who read the cups in Salem. Do you remember the episode I'm talking about our Real Housewives of New York? It was Carol who set this up. They went to Salem. They sat around a table and this lady said some stuff to them because I'm always, I'm always watching it like, could she have researched this? Could she have found this information online and then pretends to say it to people? Because I think that's what most of these psychics do. But this stuff was so niche and so chilling that I was like, I have to make a trek to see this woman at some point in my life. I'm very interested in it. But again, the fear of ending up like Kim Z and just getting addicted to seeing a psychic also alarms me. <laughs> And I think Kimsey should serve as a cautionary tale to all of us. So just keep Kimsey in the back of your mind if you feel like you're recklessly spending or something. I'm like, what would Kimsey do? Okay, do the opposite of that. And the irony is that the Bravo sphere probably stresses out more about Kimsey's life than she does. They got to sell that house. I'm haunted by it. They got to sell that house. I want peace for them. Now, after the chapel, they had a nice lunch together and Garcelle called to the mats the issues that she had had with Dorit was like, it's the, way, it's the way you said some things to me. It's your delivery. It's the whole thing. And she's trying to tell Dorit, like, there's something off here, you know? And Dorit, to me, does the thing that Kyle does with Sutton, where she's like, she's almost smirking. And so you're like, are you taking this seriously? Are you listening? Or are you just about to laugh about something or about to make a joke? I don't know. It's a weird look on her face she gets. And a few followers sent in like, no, that's what it looks like sometimes when a person just has a resting face and they've had a lot of lip fillers, that top lip like flips up and it almost looks like they're smirking. I'm like, no, I don't think that's it. Maybe, maybe it contributes to it or exacerbates it, but I feel like there's a light smirk. Anyway, they get into their issues and Dorit's like, I, I don't mean it this way. And they, they have a big, I got up and I got more gummy at that point because I was like, if I'm going to have to do this after a medical emergency and after a very emotional chapel scene, mama needs more drugs. So I got up to get more drugs. And when I came back, they had worked through it. And Gar and Dorit was saying like, well, you know, if I ever say anything that offends you, um, you know, let me know. And I'm like, Dorit, the whole point is like, this is season three of you not having done any work on this. So no, Garcelle shouldn't be your alarm bell for every time you're offensive. Anyway, ugh. then we get a scene where they all run into stores to try to shop. Shopping is not on the itinerary, but they try to squeeze it in, stimulate the local economy, which is a good thing. So yay for Barcelona. But they run into these stores and they start just spending cash on random stuff, just like little hoarders in training. And uh, Dorit buys seven fans, which I made a joke on my stories is the most fans she's ever had. <laughs> but I'm bummed. I'm proud of that one. Kyle buys a bunch of stuff. I lost track. People were just buying things. What is Dorit going to do with seven antique fans? Anyway, as we know, somewhere in some office, a tax office, scribble, scribble, someone said, noted. And I need to rewind the episode because one of my followers said, did you notice that everybody else had like, you know, platinum American Express cards, whatever, baller credit cards. And it looked like Dorit paid with like a Bank of America card. Not that that's, look, it's just because of who they pretend to be. All of us have credit cards like that. I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is for a person carrying a Chanel logo, the size of a toddler on their back, 
to then pull out a Bank of America card when we know that they owe like, I don't know, it's like over, it's so much money to the IRS that I would not sleep at night. I looked it up. It's $1.3 million in unpaid taxes. That's so much money. It's 1.3 was the report in 2021. Then there's a report in 2023 that it's almost 1 million. So I'm sure they're paying it down. So now I'm reading an online report that PK paid off $2.27 million in debt that he had to the Bellagio Casino in January of 2022. Then they paid off $635,887 to the IRS tax lien that was from their 2015 taxes. A tax lien. I don't know that he's an American citizen. This is serious to come to another country and just not pay the taxes. And then apparently there are still 2017 and 2018 debts from taxes that are due or due as of 2023. So this is not all just from one year. And this is uh, an article in The Sun. They pulled their tax records. I mean, all of this is public information. So I can't imagine going around buying extravagant stuff, flying a glam team with you to Spain to stay in your villa while, with your gigantic Chanel backpack. And people know, like, you're not even paying your taxes. Like, start there. Start with just being a good citizen and then throw money at the dumb stuff. And I saw online that somebody posted a picture of Lisa Rinna. I don't know if she was on a magazine or what she was doing, but she and her husband, Harry Hamlin, were photographed and somebody wrote underneath it like, oh, I don't miss her. I'm glad she's taking a break or whatever. And Dorit pops up out of nowhere in the comments and says, well, I miss her. And a lot of other people do too. To which I say, well, maybe you go on a break and you guys can go grab lunch together. Now, while Dorit's getting her glam for dinner, Erica is too. So we realize that the people who brought glam are four of them. Dorit, Erica, Sutton, and Garcelle. So Kyle, with all her agency money, did not bring glam. And neither did Crystal with all her Lion King money. And I like their choices. I like seeing Kyle crouch down on the ground, doing her own makeup in front of her little fold-out travel mirror. And she looks great. And Crystal looks great too. And I don't know, I just, again, I don't understand the glam game, but I will say Sutton's hair has never looked better. So for her, maybe I get it. She looks so good when she has glam hair, but it is shocking to see Erica have glam. I'm like, you're in, you're in financial straits. There's a lawyer from Florida who was friends with Tom. And I think he has been bankrolling her situation because glam's not cheap and court cases and lawyers are not cheap either. And while Erica's getting glam, we realize that she's toasted. She's had a lot to drink. She's buzzed and she's mumbling, going off like Blue Jasmine about the earrings. Well, my earrings. Oh, well, I don't know what the court case play out. They should have listened to me and I was right. And those are my earrings. I'm going to get my earrings back. And there were two of them. $750,000 earrings. And they were sold at auction. I knew. I knew I was never going to see those earrings again, but they're my earrings. And everybody should, nobody even congratulated me about the earrings. And I'm like, ma'am, you know what? The earrings were purchased with client funds. You have got to let this go. And as a joke, years ago, I made a meme of her where I put her face over, over Smeagol, where he's reaching up for the ring and he's got that look on his face and that's her reaching up for her ring with the panther on it. And I'm going to have to do another one for the earrings. She will not stop about the earrings. And as a quick reminder, the earrings were purchased with client funds. Let's all say it together. The earrings were purchased with client funds, please run right now and go see the Bravo Dockets post. They walk you through it. 
We all talked about this in 2020. The facts remain the same. Tom cut a check from a client trust account. Their settlement funds from a case, a client's case, he wrote a check from that account, money that he's never supposed to touch, that no lawyer is supposed to touch. That's the money that was won for the clients. But he wrote a check for $750,000 to M&M Jewelers in the year 2007. And then M&M Jewelers has a little piece of paper saying like, Tom Jordy ordered these earrings on this date at this time for this much money. So it was very easy to track down and see that those earrings were paid for with client funds. She did not want to turn them over. She was like, it's been, I've had them for so long, statute of limitations, I get to keep them, they're still, they're mine. But the bankruptcy trustees are trying desperately to pull together as much money and funds as they can to pay back the people who are waiting, who were stolen from. So they wanted those earrings to add to the pile. But she fought it tooth and nail. She continues to fight it. At this point, I don't know what the end game is because the earrings have been sold at auction. We all remember that. And the very messy lawyer, Ronald Richards, he bought them for his wife. So his wife now has those earrings. I don't know if that's part of the reason that she's still fixated on the earrings or if it's just the loss of something that valuable to her. They could be valuable monetarily, but then also maybe emotionally. I don't know. But if you told me that something, uh, some jewelry that my husband got me was bought with the funds that were meant for injured clients who won a settlement, I would feel disgusting and I would part with them immediately. Zero hesitation. So myself and many others are having a hard time understanding why she has wasted so much time and energy and money chasing these earrings that she knows are gone. And I don't know what the end game is for her at all. But she's mad that the other ladies or she's disgruntled that the other ladies have not congratulated her. And you'll see what she wants congratulations about if you go read the Bravo Dockets post. What she wants congratulations about is that a court found that because Tom bought them with client funds, they don't go to the bankruptcy trustee because they're not technically a part of the Girardi estate. They never were. They belong to the clients. So no one really knows what's going to happen to the earrings right now. I wonder to myself, if one of those diabetes clients came forward and said, hey, what's up? Are those my earrings? I'll take them. Have they been contacted? Do they know that someone did that with their settlement money? We hope that somebody is working on that because they are the rightful owners of those earrings. Or funds, whatever you want to say now. Amount of money. I don't know how this is all going to work out. And this is the crazy, tangled world of Tom Girardi. Mixing funds, misappropriating, writing checks from money he should have never touched. It's insane. The biggest, the biggest embezzlement case in the state of California. But yes, the women should be lining up to apologize to Erica in her mind and tell her how great she is that a judge found that the earrings were bought with client funds. <laughs> what? But she's sauced. She's getting her glam done. She goes down to dinner. And the dinner is for Sutton's friends, one that she worked with at the Merce Cunningham Dance Studio. His name is Trevor. And Trevor brings quite a few people with him. And Sutton tells everyone ahead of time, these are all smart, cultured people. The conversation is going to be kind of at that level. 
So Erica goes down there and she's a little bit sauced and she's making jokes about mercies in the purse and whatever. But then a lady starts talking about where she's from and things that she's done. And there's quite a few accomplished people around the table, architects, people who are well-traveled. And one lady is talking about where she grew up, cities she's been to, and Erica is hitting the ball back. She's asking the lady more in-depth questions. She's building on what she's saying to her. She's saying, oh, yes, that's in the Fertile Crescent. And oh, yes, and there's still a civil war going on there, correct? So it's just general knowledge of a part of the world. And the women around the table, their minds are blown. It's, it's like they're witnessing a miracle of some kind or seeing some great thing that they've never fathomed in their lives. And to most of us, we're like, yeah, she's just making conversation. But for Erica, I agree this was impressive to see. Normally, it's just a lot of sexual innuendo, silliness, and griping. She's had more moments of fun, though, this year. That's for sure. And we've enjoyed that. And speaking of sexual comments, we meet Storm's father. So the chef Storm, who, again, looks to me to be like fresh out of college or something, like 23, his father is there and they're making paella together. And so it's a family operation, which I think is so sweet. But of course, it turns into, oh, we're going to bone the dad too, you know. Okay, fine. Have your fun, ladies. But it was very sweet to see the father and the son together. And again, I just want to say neither of them appear to be flirting in any way, which is so refreshing to see a man not actually flirting and being dirty, but the women are. Feminism. Which, speaking of dad and daddy stuff, there was a moment, I don't, I can't remember when this happens in the show. I think it's in the beginning, but Anne-Marie, 8.5 Anne, calls home and her little kids are on their way to school. They're in the car. And so she's FaceTiming with them. Oh, it was during the lunch. And she says to them, like, let me see, daddy, let me say goodbye to him or something. And the women lose it at the table. I'm like, daddy, <laughs> daddy, you call, you call your husband daddy? And it was so weird and gross. And it was Garcelle and Erica and a few others who were just making fun of it. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, do you not have, you've had little kids. You don't call your spouse, partner by their first name in front of small children. You call them whatever the moniker is that you've given them for the children to say. So whether that's mom, mommy, whatever, ask mom, ask dad ask daddy, whatever it is that the kids call that person, that's what you also call that person. And it's not weird. It's not like a Mike, Mike Pence calling his wife mother or something, you know, 20 years after the kids have left the house. But they were trying to make it like this sexual thing. And I'm like, so far from it. So far from it, people. Just remember what it's like to have small kids. So in that one moment and that one moment only, I would have been on Anne Marie's side and been like, actually, no, you all are weird to sexualize that. And of course, they cut to Erica in her glammed out confessional look. And she's like, I never called my husband daddy. And we're like, yeah, yeah, you called him the boss. He was in your phone as the boss. And when he would call, you'd be like, it's the boss. So you call him some. And that's not who we need to be hearing from in this moment. Let's hear from the people with small kids, you know? And during the dinner, because Trevor is there and they've known each other for so long, Sutton and Trevor talk about the olden days when she was first living in New York City, working for the Merce Cunningham studio. And he's like, you were a goody two shoes. They talked about how strict she was about the studio. And we can't have hard shoes in the studio. And I can just see Sutton running that studio with an iron fist. 
and I'm sure it was great, and she endeared herself to Merce. Then they talk about the little apartment that she lived in in Brooklyn, and from down at the other end of the table, drunk Erica is like, Brooklyn, what a dump. And I'm like, ma'am, with all due, the current real estate in Brooklyn probably outshines your casita. And Dorit is very sassy in her confessionals. She's still in the same confessional, you know, with the braids and the colorful top and the cleavage and everything. And they talk about, you know, the fact that Sutton moved there and she wasn't as wealthy as she is now. But I think she still was raised with a decent amount of cash because they talked about her cotillion and the photos of her and her father look quite upscale. But I think Dorit is genuinely intimidated and envious of Sutton's level of wealth. So she makes a dig whenever she can. And she says, well, it turns out Sutton wasn't always wealthy. But, oh, let me do her accent. Hold on. Well, it turns out Sutton wasn't always this wealthy. She just likes to act like she was. I'm like, do you mean like you're acting right now? You are very much pretending to be wealthy right now. You've always pretended to be wealthier than I think you've actually been. I mean, and you add this to the comment from earlier in the season where she's like, don't make me steal you to Sutton's assistant, like as if you could. What's he going to do? He's going to go to your house and eat Lunchables and get paid in high fives and free Cokes, as many Coca-Colas as he can drink. Stop it. You're not in the same caliber. Accept it. You're not going to steal her assistant. And when did Sutton ever pretend like she was always wealthy? I honestly have never seen Sutton put her wealth up as something that defines her or that defined her upbringing. Anyway, it got me distracted and very irritated with Dorit, which is my whole season with her. But the dinner that they had was lovely and Erica was a really nice element of it. She was sloppy in the beginning, like I said, but then pulled it together and had a really nice conversation with people. I think everyone was on their best behavior other than flirting with Storm and his father. Sutton had on this flowy, amazing, drapey, beautiful pastel color. They were blues and purples. It had a very deep V. It was so gorgeous. And I was like, that's it. I am, I think I'm entering my, my era where I want to be clothed in fabulous cloth, but I don't want to feel the clothes. What I'm saying is the caftan life is calling me. My moo era nears. And I was really close to ordering a Moomoo caftan from Miss Patricia when she had that line of caftans where you could get your pet's face on it. I should have done it. I'll see if she still has it. But this particular one that Sutton had on was absolutely stunning. And someone told me that it's vintage. And of course it is. But as she's getting ready to go down to the dinner, I did have a moment where I watched her holding Merce. And as she's walking down to dinner, she tap, tap, taps on, you know, people's doors to check on them and ask them if they're okay and they're coming down to dinner. And she's just so kind and she's put this trip together and she's hosting her friends and she's thinking of others and she's got Merce with her again to bring him down and have him be a part of the dinner where Trevor is coming, who also knew him. And then we have Erica muttering about her damn earrings. And it was just such a stark contrast between these two people, one person thinking of others and the other one just thinking of herself per usual. But there's nothing better than after you've hosted an event or had some people over to your house when everyone goes home 
and it's early enough that you know you're still going to get into some fun stuff and the evening is not over yet. And we see Kyle running around the villa looking for chocolate, which, yes, wonderful, co-signed. And we see Erica going into Garcelle's room and jumping on the bed and Garcelle is laughing at her and they're just having a good time. And we love to see it. And the next morning, they show Erica extremely hungover, which was so amusing to me. I can't even tell you. She's like, what I do. And they tell her like, you were very messy, but you were fun at dinner. And it's that morning while Sutton is getting her glam done that she kind of has her breakdown. She can't stop crying. And her makeup artist is so nice. She's trying to wipe the tears and keep her together. But you can see on Sutton's face that she's going through something, that something is hitting her. And when Kyle walks in and she fully breaks down, she tells her that this is not just about spreading Mercer's ashes today that there's a lot of other things wrapped up in this and that's probably why she can't stop crying and she can't get herself together. And she tells a story that was so sad that she actually lost her father's ashes, that her father's ashes were with Merce's and somehow in one of their many, many moves for her and her family, she misplaced her father's ashes in the move. And she just, you can tell she feels horribly guilty about it. She's sad just thinking about her father and you think to yourself, well, Kyle's the perfect person because she has also lost a friend the same way. And so they have this moment together that feels so real. But again, I'm staring at Kyle like, is she smirking? And what can we trust? Because then she belittles this whole thing in the after show. And in her confessional, Sutton says that there have been no men more important in her life than her father, Merce, and her husband that those three men really have shaped her life, been there for her, been a support system. And so now she's lost them all. And she says to us that she needs to be like the 24-year-old version of herself who moved to New York all alone, standing on her own two feet. Her children are getting older. Soon her son will also be out and off on his own as her daughter is in college. And so Sutton, this is a big transitional time for her. And saying goodbye to Merce, letting his ashes go, is sort of walking through that door. So it's symbolic in a lot of ways. But Sutton pulls herself together and she's got these flower wreaths. They're beautiful. It's a white flower and she's made them for everyone again so that they can also be a part of this. And they've all lost people in their lives, I'm sure. And so they're all getting ready to leave to go be a part of this. And there's a part when they cut to Dorit getting her glam done. And she's FaceTiming with her kids. And the kids have, I believe it was either her mother or a nanny with them. And she says in her confessional, like, I don't go out of town that much. PK travels all the time. He's always going, going to London. And why couldn't he just be home so that the kids have one parent home? And I said, that's a great question. Maybe he's hustling to pay for the glam chasing that paper to pay for the Chanel bags. I don't know. He did mention the last time you all were having your scenes together in with the therapist that like you're very high maintenance and all this kind of stuff. Maybe y'all need to have a brass tacks conversation about what how much money is being pulled in, what is the stress level, maybe get the maybe get the overhead down. Like personally my docket is full for how many housewives I can be concerned about their finances. I can't add another one to it. Now, when it comes time to actually spread the ashes, I know that we are all haunted by when our dear, dear 
Sonia Rita, said goodbye to her beloved dog, and the ashes blew back in everyone's face. Because ashes are like a powder. They're not heavy. It'd be like if you threw powdered sugar in the wind. You gotta be upwind. You want that wind blowing at your back, and then you release. We've had enough ash play on Bravo to know how this works, to get the logistics of it. But in the scene for the ashes, we see her throw them. Trevor has his hands on it. Sutton has her hands on it. And they throw, and it blows right back on them. And the ladies. Crystal gets it. Garcelle gets it. The other ladies disperse. Sutton tries to turn away from it. It gets her. Trevor. They're all covered in merce. And it's a little mayhem. People are running. People are yelling. It's high drama. And part of me thinks Merce would have liked it. You know, go out with a bang. And oh, people just had the funniest comments to say about this episode. A tweet that Bravo and Botox shared, which is by an account called Into the Wild Fog, said, Sutton's friends are interesting rich people. Kyle has Teddy. <laughs> and everybody, I, I always feel so validated by the tweets that come out after an episode because I'm like, okay, good. It wasn't just me. Because in that chapel, you know, Sutton apologizes and says, I wish I'd been a better friend to you. She's having an introspective moment. She's thinking, how could I have been more supportive and better to my friend who's also feeling the kind of pain that I'm feeling? And she apologizes to Kyle. You ask yourself, does Kyle apologize to Sutton and say, I could have been a better friend to you too? She does not. She does not at all. And I've talked about this with Dame Galley, who is my favorite Kyle apologist. I'm going to go talk with her on her pod at some point about this. But Kyle might just be that person who is just not that deep. She's deep when it comes to her own feelings and emotions, but she may not be deep when it comes to being able to support a friend. Or she just doesn't really like Sutton. And I kind of think that's what it is. She might pretend for the cameras. She might say what she needs to say, but it seems to me like she just has an issue with Sutton. She had more of an impassioned tone when talking about how she likes to find the Hermes store in any city, and that becomes the center of the city for her, and asking the guy where the Hermes store was when they were walking around the city. There was more life in her then than there was trying to support Sutton at either of the moments when Sutton needed her. And at this point, if I ever do become an extremely wealthy lady, I would not buy Hermes just because I think of Kyle now. The brand is so aligned with her. I feel like Hermes should send her bags from other places. Like, oh, well, you know, Hermes is great, but we're actually starting an even more unique line called Blur Blaze. And you should start wearing that and stop wearing Hermes because she's tanking the brand. And I feel like this whole season is just manipulating us. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. DM me. Have you ever heard her and Mauricio call each other love bean before? I haven't. And maybe this is nothing. But when she did the FaceTime with him, his name in her phone was Mauricio is my love bean. And I was like, I feel like that's a weird way to put someone in your phone, even if it is your husband. And overall, I just have an issue with trust when it comes to Kyle. She's had a producer kind of air with the show for so many years that... And what she said in the after show, I never know what's real with her anymore. There were rumors this week that she and Morgan Wade were done being friends, in quotes. Um, but that was just a ploy because Morgan's about to put out more music. And so she wiped her Instagram. A lot of people do that for whatever reason, just to get attention on their account. And Kyle was seen at one of her shows where there was literally only like 100 people there. And Kyle was one of them. And she was recording her the whole time. So all is well. 
with them. Other social media posts that I saw this week that made me laugh hard after seeing that episode were one person at Ask Shari tweeted, Erica doesn't get that she lived a privileged life for 20 plus years from the winnings of victims. And she should want to give those earrings back to the victims. Exactly. Filming music videos, getting glam, shopping, getting Chagall paintings, DSLs in the Lambo, all on the backs of victims. She shouldn't hesitate to give back earrings that never belonged to her, never belonged to Tom. And yet, here we are. Between Kyle and the earrings, it's like they're in the running for who's most unlikable. And last week, Bravo and Botox tweeted, almost time for a new episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, a.k.a. Here's more reasons why Kyle Richards sucks show. And it is turning into that. She literally sat in a chapel next to a person and never once thought about apologizing back for insinuating that she had an eating disorder, slamming her about her ankle. Like, oh, was it your ankle? Is your medication for your ankle? Literally onboarding Anne-Marie 8.5 Anne to have her do nothing but go after Sutton belittling and joking on her for having some real issues around her husband wanting her to move to London and her having to deal with that and going back to court, belittling that she's going to have sole custody of her child by being like, oh, you mean you're just going to make more money? Like, yeah, okay. And so again, I say it, you know, when a mean person on any of these reality shows targets someone, all it does is make that person look terrible. The mean person just it tanks themselves. But Kyle, she's really just like the Teflon Don, you know, like an old gangster mafioso. Really nothing takes her down. Like Andy won't hold her to anything, I'm sure, at the reunion. Most of the women will probably let a lot of the stuff go. I think Sutton wants to and, and needs to let a lot of it go in order to keep functioning with Kyle. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I'm interested in this new life change of Kyle's. And I, everybody wants everyone to be happy, right? Go be with Morgan, be happy. At the same time, stop being awful. Sutton is great for the show. Sutton is the one that put a three-minute timer on them when they wanted to go shopping. That was hilarious. Sutton barely has to try to be entertaining. Meanwhile, the Flop Force 5 is like trying to think of things to talk about. And if you said to me right now, only one of them can stay, Sutton or Kyle. Sutton. Hands down, without a doubt. If you're truly a producer of the show and you truly want the show to do well, stop trying to tank the person who's giving the most and is the most entertaining this season. Stop trying to come for the person who's actually wealthy and actually is a perfect fit for the show. It's just so unnecessary. And imagine for a moment that Sutton owed the IRS a million dollars. Kyle would be all over that, I think. But yet, Dorit gets a pass. Imagine if Garcelle had an outstanding tax lien. Crystal. And that's the kind of fakery that I think is doing damage to Beverly Hills. The fact that they don't talk about things that affect Kyle's little coven. I mean, the only silver line to this episode was that 8.5 Anne was not the focus of it. I don't think we heard the word esophagus once, which was so nice. I don't know if it was my mental state, but I really don't remember seeing her past 
getting Crystal in an ambulance and, and everybody praising her at the lunch for her amazing ability to put a profession first and really care for Crystal. She didn't do that much. Stop. That is one woman that does not need any praise. She does not need anybody making her head bigger at all. Now, next week on Monday, February 12th, that's when Who is releasing their part two of Housewife and the Hustler. I don't like the name, whatever, we're stuck with it. And again, this one's going to focus more on Erica, which I think is a good reminder for people because people forget. And there's so many people saying, oh my God, she's so funny and she's so great and what a good season she's having. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, it's it's a good season, but also you can't pat the puss away from a lot of serious stuff that's happening in the background. And in this episode, she said, you know, her plan for the future was like to rise up and put herself back together and, you know, make money again. And I think public image is a lot of that. So it really surprises me that she seems to be trying really hard for a good season, but won't let these earrings go when we all know they were purchased with client funds. It's obsessed with material goods. But anyway, on the anti-consumerism note from last episode recap that we did, some people wrote in and shared some things that they have had for a very long time because I had said, tell me if there are things, whether or not it's an object or clothes that you still use that you've had for a really long time, because the culture we live in right now, things just break. I don't know if it's just me, but I have bought a new Dyson vacuum like every two to three years. Why? They're so expensive. When I say I, I mean, my husband keeps doing it. I keep telling him like, I don't want to buy from a brand if it's just going to break, if the battery is going to be completely dead every two to three years, like an iPhone, and it's useless to us. And they're like, well, you can't replace that. We could try ordering another one, but it's not really meant to do that. And we have a new model anyway, buy the new model. And meanwhile, like a vacuum that my grandmother used still works. What are we doing? So a listener named Heather wrote in, hi, Heather, thank you for writing in. And she said, I have scissors that I still use. They're 40 years old. <laughs> That's amazing. And she sent a picture of these scissors. And I swear that I have a pair that looks so similar. And another listener, Liv, wrote in, hi, Liv. And she said, the oldest piece of clothing I own and still wear, wearing today actually, is a North Face puffy vest I got for Christmas in 2002. So 21 to 22 years, and it still looks new. Amazing. And then another listener named Nazanin said that she has a 1985 swatch, swatch watch that her son now wears and pajamas that she's had from when she was like a kid and they're in such good condition that her daughter wears them. Bags that she's had for 30 plus years, appliances. And then she and I got into a back and forth about appliances because I'm having some appliance drama and they're not that old. I would always rather shell out a bunch of cash for something that's well-made and well-crafted than something that's just a luxury label that's cheap. It makes me sad that I feel like that's where a lot of brands are going. Like, I don't trust that just because something is expensive that it's well-made. And I wish it was that way, but I don't think it is anymore. But on that note, I'm going to my Hermes, the store where I consider it the center of my town and everything gets built around it. It's my touchstone. I'm going to Costco. I need a few staple items. Maybe I'll treat myself to a pair of cozy sweats. I don't know, but I do know that I live well within my means, and that's how I like it. Kudos to all of us that do not have IRS tax liens. I don't know what I'm going to do for the next episode, and that's exciting. I'm debating doing like one of three different things. It'll be a surprise. It'll drop on Thursday. And I have so many shows that I'm behind on, but there's also like random stuff I want to talk about, random dives I would like to do. 
So we'll see how I feel. But next episode drops on Thursday. In the interim, please like, subscribe to this podcast. I have a YouTube channel as well that I'm going to be adding dives and receipts to. I had some big stuff happening in my like work personal life. Now that that's over, I can focus more on the fun stuff, which is this. In the meantime, don't be like Kyle. Don't offer a friend a shoulder to cry on and then completely ruin it by making fun of that friend in the actor show.